Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside soccer journalist, a young man who has dedicated his life to studying Syria, uh, as well as Sam Criswell, as well as our very own media executive, a man whose old soccer playing body is literally falling apart right in front of our very eyes <laughs> over the ball. Mr. Grail Hallett. Today, our guest on OTB, Gigante Rojo. That's right, Big Red. Lexi Lalas is our guest. We're going to talk to him about the start of MLS season, as well as U.S. men's national team, and a lot of other stuff. Because uh, as many of you are well aware, Lexi is always good for a quote. The dude is uh, an absolute walking soundbite. Whether I agree with him or disagree, as Bill Murray once said in Meatballs, it just doesn't matter because he's definitely entertaining. Uh, big successful opening weekend for MLS, a real bright spot. Nashville lost to Atlanta, but uh, 59,000 at Nissan Stadium. Um, so Atlanta wins, but Joseph Martinez looks like he's out for the season with an ACL injury. In, uh, in LA, LAFC beat uh, Inter-Miami. Uh, Carlos Vela with an absolutely amazing uh, kick. Like he's fooling around yeah. with his buddies. Good stuff. We'll get to talk about that as well. So Over the Ball is brought to you by Ticket IQ. Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. Ticket IQ works directly with teams and other sellers to cut out the fat and offer a low price guarantee that gets you 200% of the difference if you find the same ticket for less on any other major sellers like StubHub. They'll actually make up the difference. You can also visit and register on TicketIQ.com or download their app in iTunes or Google Play. After you've registered, you can also refer friends and get $10 in ticket credit anytime one of them buys uh, on TicketIQ. So, uh, Over the Ball is also brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com join and so- sign up for Soccer America's pro membership. Pro membership is just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. Uh, okay, guys. So um, when you get this Soccer America, I was reading this. When you when you get Soccer America, uh, the pro membership, get all kinds of stuff. Soccer America Daily, Soccer on TV, Game Report, Soccer Talk. Also, uh, a full access to an extensive 20-year archive of soccer content. It also, here's what I was talking about, guys. It allows you to view, share, and comment on all articles. And if you've ever read some of the comments, I know there, there are fans out there, but man, some of those comments are absolutely moronic. Um, guys i don't know like no you know don't hold back don't hold back footy well it's like uh, i've mentioned this before but i'm at a a nyfc game and guys are yelling from the stands it's like a little bit of knowledge is dangerous like they used to say that in taekwondo they go a red belt a little bit of knowledge is dangerous because he knows some stuff but not enough to actually uh do it properly so i was at you know nycfc game guys are yelling just just kick it around get your dicking around with it in the back just knock it forward it's like yeah. Playing out of the back. You it's know, like a rec league content. soccer coach or something. Right. So, look, you, you love people's comments, but as soccer has developed in this country, the fan base has gotten bigger. Uh, people, are, people are talking about stuff. You know, we'll talk about this a little later on in the broadcast about basically fans sometimes think they can yell at players anything they want. You know, sure. Eric, Eric Dyer got up there in the stands, uh, which I kind of like to see sometimes. But uh, first off, let's talk about really quickly last night. Uh, I know we watched the uh, the U.S. women's games. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I've got two thoughts, Lenny. First of all, uh, Sebastian Salazar, who is doing play-by-play, needs to hone his skills by a thousand percent because uh, he was some of the observations were. It was just like excitement um, in uh, in place of just actually being able to read the game. He would get hyper excited. It reminded me a lot of Gus Johnson, actually. Just like hyper excitement over something that's actually not even developing into anything important. But but oh, but the game itself, I just thought was, I thought England was horrific and they couldn't even get out of their own third because the U.S. was high pressing them. Mm-hmm. But overall, I just thought the skill level was bad. A couple good goals by the U.S. Carly Lloyd and and, and Press scored a nice goal too. But uh, overall, I'd give it about a four out of ten in terms of the play. I don't know what you thought, Flynn. Well. Two things. One, you you know, Sam knows this. Uh, you know, Salazar's the golden child over at um, over at ESPN. Now he's been given a lot of the assignments. Um, I think it, what annoys me about the Spanish that comes through, it's like, are you speaking English? Or are you speaking Spanish? When someone goes into the uh, uh, and next week the United States plays Mexico, it's like. <laughs> Are you speaking English or are you speaking Spanish? I can know you can speak both, but it drives me crazy. So I sound like pet peeves. Yeah, it sounds like I'm meeting caravans at the border, but I'm not. I just think it's annoying uh, that that 
seems to be a prerequisite. If you are born outside of this country or your English is your second language, you immediately get a shot on doing announcing here. I'd like to talk to Lexi about that too, because yeah. Fox seems to be hiring American, you know, players to try and make an American sort of thumbprint on this game as far as broadcasting. We do broadcasting better than anyone else in the world. Why do we go to, um, you know, go to soccer and suddenly we're, you know, we're, we're just, we're sub, we're subbing it out all of our. Uh, well, but and it's funny. You and I have this argument all the time because, you know, as much as I would love, you know, more American voices, I want good American voices. And I'd rather mm -hmm. have Ian Dark, who's excellent and happens to be English than Sebastian Salazar, who can't, look at a game and actually make intelligent commentary. I thought Julie Foudy deserved far better than having him as the play-by-play -play guy. Uh, she's great. Julie's great. Yeah. And I think the thing with Julie is she doesn't get to work enough. Um, I just found the whole idea of this uh, She Believes Tour preposterous because they're not playing for anything. The domestic league needs better numbers, right? Yeah. You, you need to have a domestic league. What are they playing for? They're playing for, this is like their whole season, which yeah, are but I, You know, as a fan though, Flinny, I have no issue seeing what the best teams play against each other. And I, you know, we obviously haven't seen the U.S. play England since the World Cup in that great semi-final mm -hmm. match. And so, you know, I was actually intrigued to see how and if the teams have progressed. Unfortunately, it looked like England had regressed in a huge way. They, they just wanted to knock the ball around the back. They never basically got past. Well, half, well, I think on both field. sides of the ball, except for yeah. Rose Lavelle, I thought yeah. the midfield was really uncreative. Just it shows bad. you where the game really breaks down. And I mean, I mentioned this to you guys before we got on air. I think we watched so much Serie A, you know, um, uh, and Premier League that you get used to a ball being moved around in a certain way. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you watch that. And I felt like I was watching it you know, a high school game or well, just know, first touches, the first touches collectively were just awful, you know, even, and, and even the goalkeepers missed kicking balls out of the back and oh, it was terrible. It just wasn't a good product, but you know, just one thing getting, they're back both to out the, of season too. I think yeah, they're both. You one, know. one thing get, getting back to the Salazar thing is I think it's unfortunate for Julie Foudy because she almost has to be there to kind of politely steer him along when he makes observations or statements that just aren't, accurate you well, know well look uh, he played in college i understand it and i don't yeah. think you have to be a player to be a good play-by-play -play man it's yeah. just i don't think um i think you know you you have the argument i know you uh you know you're an anglophile you like the the english voice and i understand yeah. that but we have to phase this out at some point and give americans a chance i just say like why does it uh, you know it, it just seems like look espn fc there's not an american voice on there yeah um, but, but again, my point, and I couldn't agree more, Flinny, but they've got to be good. And, and again, just for, for putting somebody on the air because they're an American and not doing a good job to me is not good for the sport. I'd rather have an observant, good play-by-play -play person than somebody that were, you know, let Salazar practice off on the side. I mean, I would Well, the one thing with Salazar is I've, I've said before, give him a chance, give him, yeah. uh, you know, his ups. Yeah. And, uh, but he's been doing a lot of soccer, and it's been a couple of years now. And so, you know. And by the way, play-by-play -play is very difficult. So, you yeah. know, far be it. For, I mean, I couldn't jump in a booth and do it. But I just, again, I think you have to know the game and know when to get excited and when to not get excited. When a ball's thrown into space and nobody has a chance of getting there, to get excited as if a goal is about to be scored is just not doing justice to the commentary. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, I feel like... And, Sorry, just to get into this, uh, you know, the fact that they were playing against England may have been a reason they wanted, you know, an American voice not look like it was a, a full English takeover. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, I, to tie this back into your, you know, Soccer America comments section, uh, Kevin, um, yeah. I feel like that Americans in general with soccer feel like they have a chip on their shoulder because no one thinks they know anything about soccer. So there's often the tendency to, I don't know, have the loudest voice in the room and you know, be yelling about things that you, you don't really know. And like, you have to prove a point, like you have to prove yeah. rather than a really good play by play announcer who I feel like just kind of lets the game come to them. They're totally. very calm and they're yes. sort of let things develop and, you know, they don't have to show with every statement, like how, how knowledgeable they are. Well, yeah, but for right. Sam, it's a, it's a great point because that was our beef, you know, with Gus Johnson when he was on Fox doing it is because Gus kept wanting to just throw stats out there because that's such an American thing. More stats, more stats, more stats, and just talking over the action. Whereas Arlo White, you know, who works for uh, oh, he's got better and better. Network. I mean, he well, started he's, good and now he's great. I no, think but I, I'm just saying, you listen to the good ones, and you're exactly right, Sam. They let the action speak for themselves and then comment as needed, as opposed uh, uh, to talking nonstop. 
And how about Graham Lasso's comments? Yeah, I just I just love them. Those guys, the two players sitting in the yeah, booth. Yeah, Lee talk. Dixon and Graham Lasso, they're uh, terrific, and they offer right. something a little bit different. And they both played, and they know the game. You know. But here's the thing, too. Like I thought Bruce Arena was very good when he was on air because he had an opinion. Yeah. He was educated, and I loved it. I loved the voice. It was controversial at times. So I like Sam, Landon, Sam, I, I liked Landon's Flinny. I thought Landon, well, Landon was, was very good. Really, yeah, he's really measured. good. Really good. What happened to him? Well, this is the thing. I could talk to Lexi about this when we have him on. Yeah. It's like you know, Lexi went from player to gm to broadcaster back to broadcasting back to gm you know it was like who it is a really tough business and you need to be in it to kind of win it you got to be in it and that's what you're doing you don't yeah. go back and forth um you know but sam i wanted to ask you this question because it just feels like why are the women playing last night other than to knock it around and make some money uh are they preparing for something is it the olympics coming up but most of those are the full that's the full national team so i just feel like it's the national team playing, and the crowd is as big as a men's game, so which I thought they, was they, great. They, they, they had eighteen thousand. But but what are they playing for? It's so odd. It's just like it's like the Globetrotters, and all these other teams are the uh, you know, what was that? What was the uh, the the generals or the something? Washington what was the, generals. The Washington generals. generals yeah. You know, yeah. it's like everybody else just and the level is not that good. I got to be honest. I'm watching last night, saying this is international play, and they they can't collect the ball. They can't do anything creative in the midfield. Um, you know, miss but, hits, miss but, but remember, Flinny, too. Giveaways. They're, they're, raising giveaways. Money. They're, they're doing these things to raise money. They're doing these things to make money. They're money makers. That's why they do the She Believes Cup. They get a sponsor. They get other sponsors. They have sponsorship dollars coming in. That's the whole reason behind doing it. And then, you know, and you're playing against good competition. So, I, I you know, I have less of an issue with it, especially when they're playing against good teams, because I, I, I want to see kind of a benchmark of where everybody is. All right, so we uh, we hit up the U.S. Women's National Team and and Salazar, so we can yeah. we can move on. Yes. Um, hey, uh, you gotta love uh, Grail. Chelsea beats Liverpool. Liverpool, what has happened? If the wheels come off the bus, yeah, lost well, three out of the last four in all competitions. Yeah, so they lost. They had last weekend. They lost three 0 to Watford uh, in resounding fashion. It was the first time I'd really seen Liverpool's back four look suspect. Well, they had Lovren in there, which yeah, yeah, they they instead of Gomez, and uh, he was just didn't play. But nobody played well. Even Van Dyke didn't play well, to be fair. Right, right. And uh, so that was that 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 happened, you know, on the heels of the Atletico Champions League first leg loss, and uh, and then yeah, Chelsea two nil in the FA Cup um, at Stamford Bridge, and um, again just looked a little bit suspect. Henderson's been out, which has definitely affected them. Yeah, he's their um, engine room. You you realize? Yeah, and and, and we just we just got the news that uh, that Allison's going to be injured for this weekend and and the Atletico uh, return leg at Anfield next week. So so finally, I mean, they've been injury free pretty much the entire year. They've had a, a couple. Well, of not really. Now, yeah, they've had injuries. Now yeah. they're going through what everybody else goes through, and it just it it just shows you when you lose key players, it changes everything. Well, I think if you lose a Van Dyke or you lose a Henderson, you you lose something. I mean, look, they've lost Matip, they they lost uh, Shakiri, they um, you know, Lalana for a while. I mean, they've they've lost players. I mean, part of the thing is there's a competition to get out on the field there, which I think is really healthy. Which is like what I like to see with our U.S. men's national team, yeah. which we could talk to Lexi about that as well. It's like this is my position, I own it until I get hurt or injured or I'm played out of the position. It's mine. Yeah. And I feel that way with Liverpool. Lovren went in, and I, I saw some frustration with Van Dyke right away dealing yeah. with Lovren. He gave he the ball away a bunch of times. They haven't they get, played together. They're back on their heels. They also look tired, guys. I think it talks to the to the, the greater you know subject of saying, are they playing too many games, or should he rotate even more than he has? Because I think – Well, yeah, it's, it's the age-old art. I mean, it's why managers are paid a lot of money, because you have an incredible number of fixtures, and you got to balance everything, and they – you know, he didn't trot out a bad team against Chelsea. Um, but, uh, you know, Adrian was in for Allison, and Adrian let up a howler against William. The first goal that he let in was just terrible. So that kind of put them down 1-0. And uh, I would just put – I would put a lot of players uh, in now, especially yeah. when you're playing Premier League in the league yeah. domestically, and then keep your guys fresh for um, Champions League. So uh, that might not happen. They might not have enough time now. Well, I mean, it's interesting because in the last two weeks, they've gone from maybe winning the triple to probably, you know, just, I mean, a chance that they might just win the league. You know, they were looking at the right. league, the FA Cup, and the cha and Champions League. They're out of the FA Cup, and now they've got a win. Um, so 
coming up in against Atletico. So anyway, yeah, I think, I mean, to me, I didn't see any of these games, but uh, to me, this speaks a lot to, you know, what I've (laughs) said before, which is it's not necessarily a great thing to be so unchallenged in your, you know, domestic competition. Yeah. I think they were, I think they were challenged domestically. I mean, that's what, you know, those teams are playing out of their mind each week to beat Liverpool. It makes your season. And this, it speaks to, you know, promotion relegation, you you know, top team. You'd think that everybody be dejected. You know, uh, they're playing tough because they want to beat Liverpool because they need three points because they might be relegated, you know. Yeah. And, and, and Chelsea wants to be in the top four. So it's sort of like there's a but constant they are, pressure they to are succeed. 20, they are 22 points clear. Yeah, I so, mean, I, I mean, psychologically, it's, uh, the, the yeah. league's been done and dusted for like the last month, essentially. Yeah. Right? I also so think like we're in, in this era of, you know, the super club, um, you know, where like one loss is a disaster. And, you know, if you don't win the treble, yeah. you, you didn't have yeah. a good season. I mean, it's, it's unrealistic. Just so kind of, yeah. Well, and, 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 and honestly, crazy. Sam, winning the league in the overall scheme of things is to me the most important thing for them because they haven't won the league in 30 years. And given the choice of winning, I mean, obviously, and they won Champions League last year. So um, to me, sure. of the three, that's clearly the most important to the supporters right now. Yeah. Hey, I think we, we have to get to Lex in just a bit, yeah. but I, I wanted to tell you one other thing, guys. I thought it was really interesting. It was really interesting to watch um, Jurgen Klopp when they asked him about the coronavirus. He's like, uh, you know, he's he's like, uh, uh, what do I know? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a manager. Well, ask yes. the people who are experts in what they know. I thought that was just so refreshing. Yes, All right, it let's, was refreshing. Let's, let's wrap this up, and uh, we'll come back. You're listening to Over the Ball, and we'll be uh, back on with uh, Gigante Rojo, Lexi Lavas. Right, joining us now on Over the Ball, you know him, you love him as Gigante Rojo. And I just found out that Lexi doesn't know why he was called Gigante Rojo. But uh, welcome to the show, uh, Alexi Lalas. Lexi, how are you, buddy? Hey, good. I'm good. I'm uh, Gigante Rojo. I love it. I'm going to use well, it now. I'm going to have my wife call me that. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. I'm not going there, dude. But I was watching the, when you were playing in the FIFA All-Star game, which must have been an amazing just, just trip. You're sitting there. It must be surreal, all the players you were out there with. Um, the, the Spanish-speaking announcer just kept saying, Gigante Rojo, Gigante Rojo, Gigante Rojo. I'm like, what a great, what a great superhero name. I know, so, uh, all for nicknames, all for nicknames. So, how so you doing, stuff. all right? I'm good, I'm good. We're, uh, we're, we're here, you know, MLS season started. Sounds like it was a great week to start off. Um, Amazing. With big numbers Amazing. with some fans and stuff. Talk a little bit about it. 25th year. I mean, uh, yeah. Amazing, you right? and I have been around here for, for a while. So we've seen the, all the twists and turns and ups and downs of not only Major League Soccer, but just soccer in, in our country. And uh, right. I don't know about you, but it, it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart to see what this sport has become on and off the field. And whether it's the expansion or the infrastructure in terms of, of stadiums, whether it's signing players along the line like Beckham and now Chicharito. Yeah. Uh, actually, more importantly, it's it, it's just the the culture that exists that that right. that underground type of thing that is now above ground. It's vibrant. It's uh, it's discerning. It it identifies through the game, the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they dress, all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That supporters culture and the unique aspect of American soccer, and obviously, you know, it's kind of uh, it manifests in the way that Major League Soccer and the Major League Soccer supporters support their teams individually in their market and then collectively as a as a uh, as a country and as a league. So it's uh, it's it's good to be alive in 2020. I don't, I, I don't really know if is. I envisioned this. No, no. Look, and you know, I think you've used about five words that that Grail doesn't know, but <laughs> he'll go get a thesaurus. I'm, while I'm I, going to my thesaurus right now. Right now. But yeah. you know, Lex, you mentioned an interesting point because I was talking about some of the comments I hear at the games. It's for me as a former player, it's sort of like, wow, there come some clueless comments. But that's part of the game. That's part of the the growing mass that we have here. And and you mentioned, you know, back in '94 when uh, on the road to the World Cup there, when we met and soccer was just you know really embryonic stage of development. It, to see what it is now is pretty amazing. And we have problems, we have setbacks, we have go aheads. But but all in all, we're here. And it's 25 years later, and I don't think any of us would have expected that uh, 25 years ago. It's uh, it's La Cosa Nostra, you know. It's 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 uh, our thing, right? Warts yeah, yeah. and all, and yep. uh, it's not perfect. Yeah. It, it, it and it will never be. 
it might be perfect, but in, in a unique American type of sense. We, we always are, are talking uh, about what's happening uh, around the world, but it's always going to be uniquely American. That's not a bad thing. Right. Grail? Yeah. Hey, yeah, Alexi, I, I know we all, we all think that uh, Don Garber and MLS has grown incredibly well and beyond our wildest dreams. But do, I'm just curious if you think it's helpful when, like the, I think it was the owner of LAFC or maybe it was the Galaxy came out and said, yep. you know, I think within X number of years, we're going to be bigger than baseball and the NHL, which I think it's always great to be aspirational. But do you th think that sets up expectations that are, might be tough to achieve? I'm just curious when, when statements are made like that, what do you think? Yeah, it was interesting. I was in Nashville uh, this past weekend where the, the, the latest expansion team kicked off in front of 60,000 people there. And, and Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, was there. And I asked him uh, that exact question to try to find out how he views it. And look, you know, he has to kind of uh, corral all of these owners and they all <laughs> are sometimes going in different directions. And sometimes they do and say things that he may not uh, agree with. But I right. think the sentiment of, as you mentioned, the, the aspirational aspect yeah. of it, of look, we, we are going to this, this mountain. How we get there might be different, but ultimately you do have to have people that say, you know, we're going to some place that we've never been before. And I, I, I can appreciate and, res and respect that. I do think that, you know, you, know, you can make arguments against, uh, you know, uh, when a major league soccer, when it comes up against the NHL. And, and one of the things they were saying was that within 10 years, NHL, uh, baseball, and Liga MX. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's doable. Uh, and then you're talking about in 25 years being the number one league in the world. You know, a couple of things. It's, it's doable because of what soccer is, what soccer is becoming, what also America and North America, because we talk about Canada too, provides to players uh, who want to go. The reason that that migration happened to the EPL, and they, kudos to them, established the most popular league in the world in the English yeah. Premier League, mm -hmm. it wasn't because of the food Okay. It wasn't Definitely because of the not. weather that they all went to England. Okay? Yeah, exactly. uh, it, it's because of money. Now yeah. you add the fact that this is a place in the United States where players want to go. If they're making good money, uh, even better money, their families are uh, happy. Uh, you know, the culture that we have, the environment, they're safe. They're getting paid every week, which by the way, in 25 years, MLS hasn't missed a paycheck. That is actually something. You don't, people don't realize that even in, in leagues around the world that we, that we hold up there, that's not always the case. So MLS has hey, a lot Hey, Lex, going when forward. I played, the, the fastest sprint was when everybody got their checks thrown into the bank because <laughs> last exactly four right. didn't cash, you know? Like, it's like, hey, I got there first, Don. Sorry, pal. Um, so these, that is a good stat. I like that. Um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's it, it, I, don't, I don't think it's, it should be, I, I don't look at it as problematic when they make right. these grandiose and bold types of claims. How you get there is a, is a different story. And look, right. this last 25 years, it's unprecedented in terms of the growth, but how we got there was a lot of hard work on and off the field by yeah. a lot of men and women, some that many that did never even kick the ball. So, mm -hmm. but, but if you look at that last 25 years and you extrapolate it out and say, all right, well, that's, that's what happened in 25 years. Then you gotta be bullish about the future of soccer in the United States. Yeah. It's MLS owners saying build the wall. So yeah. let, let me ask you this, Lex. I think Fox does a good job. They're really doing a good job of trying to develop an American voice in this game, which you're a big part of. I'll speak to that a little bit because I, I know you're, you know, it's, we've both been at ESPN at other times and some of the, you know, I don't think Americans get a shot at, at being announcers. It's sort of almost like a coach. They say, well, they were an American coach. He couldn't coach in the premier league. It's like Bob Bradley knows more than, than any man about coaching soccer. It's a, uh, so I think as far as broadcasting, which American sports does it better than anybody in the world, um, why it's been so difficult to put an American spin on the broadcasting booth. Well, it, it comes down to the soundtrack that you grow up with. And yeah. for uh, uh, now, now multiple generations, what they have associated with the game and what is authentic and genuine and real uh, to the game is oftentimes, when it comes to the English language, uh, that of the English uh, and, a, and a British accent, which right, is fine. Right. That's okay. You know, that's mm -hmm. what the ear wants what the ear wants. I get that. Right. But it's, it's nothing that players haven't dealt with over their years where you are, you could be a very good player, but because you are American, you are knocked down a peg or two. And you just got to deal with that. You just build that into everything that you do. And so when it comes to broadcasting, uh, look, I don't care where you're from or what kind of accent you have. I care that mm -hmm. you're good. But mm -hmm. I don't want somebody who has what would be a 
a non-traditional type of, uh, of voice, especially when it comes to the American voice out there, mm -hmm. not being given an opportunity simply because it's non-traditional. We actually, maybe more so than any place else, have the opportunity to kind of break that, that tradition and do some different things. And I think if you look around, whether it's at Fox or anywhere else, I think there is a, a diversity of voice, which I think lends itself to this game that is played all over, all, all over the world. Right. And like you said, whether it's a coach in Bob Bradley, whether it's a player like, uh, you know, a, uh, a Landon Donovan or something like that, or whether it's a broadcaster like myself or Taylor mm -hmm. Twelman or Stu Holden or anything, anything like that, you should judge us on the merits of what we say and whether we're informative and entertaining in terms of, uh, of what we're doing. And mm -hmm. look, I understand the, the, the accent and the way that you say things is as important in television as what you say, mm -hmm. but I think it's changing. And there's a whole generation that now doesn't even you know, doesn't even flinch when it's not necessarily a traditional type of British accent that's giving them their sock. Right. English history. Uh, Sam? Yeah. So, uh, Sam. Lex, moving to the... Uh, I like that. It's a nice concise... I told you, the man speaks in sound bites. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, moving, moving onto the field itself, you mentioned, you know, the comparison with Liga MX, which a lot of people like to talk about and, you know, sort of measure the MLS against. Um, in terms of, you know, quality of play, style of play, I'm just curious how you know, you've kind of seen things develop since your playing days, um, you know, with what's actually going on on the field. Sure, sure. Well, first off, with the rapid expansion in Major League Soccer, there was the fear that, that the league was going to be diluted. But the reality is that your marketplace is the world. Now, it's easy to say that, but if you don't have the money to compete in that marketplace, then it doesn't do you any good. Luckily, MLS has increased and increased and increased the money. And just this past offseason, I think the, the strategic way in which they've targeted uh, Mexican uh, international players and players either coming from Liga MX or like a Chicharito, like I said, Mexican national players, I think that that has been really, really important because when we talk about overtaking the NHL or baseball or whatever it ends up being, mm -hmm. you gotta, you got to be able to compete against Liga MX. And look, MLS still isn't spending the money that Liga MX is, but that attraction and some of that, um, some of that migration that we are seeing, I think it's good. Because once you get where you can say, you know what, we are better than Liga MX, which for a long time has been our major competitor, not just on the field, but also when it comes to broadcast, that's important going forward. So I think, so I think when we see something like that happening, and that's to, the, to, to your point, uh, Grail, the, um, the ambition that this league has, that's from a, a definitive and type of uh, a detail-oriented standpoint, something that you can point to and say, all right, that's how we're getting to that mountain. We are targeting those types of players. We are giving the teams the money in order to target those players. And more importantly, when you target them, you, you close the deal and they are coming to MLS. You know, the level has gotten better and better too, Lex. I, I, you know, my old roommate there, Mike Noonan, coach at Clemson, every year I'd ask him, hey, would we be able to play in MLS? <laughs> and every year he'd be like, yeah, yeah, we would have been in there. We would have been in there. This last year he goes, no, Flinny. There's <laughs> better, which I love because the level's gotten better and better now. Now you know old timers are out of the game, but uh, it's it's good to see the level rise like that. Um, I, I don't know, Kel. I, listen, uh, and maybe it's none of us were ever any good without a good healthy ego. And when I right. when I get that question, I get that question all the time. Yeah. What you have to do though when you're doing that is put those players in the in the era and the time. And so, right. yeah. well, you know, while a Messi or something like that is getting you know the hyperbaric chamber and uh yeah. being, and, and living and living and insulated in this incubator type of existence that exists with modern technology what you would have to do then is say okay well what if pele had also had all of those advantages yeah. on the right. yeah. field and what and what he would have been so you take you and put you in this type of thing all it comes down to really is what's up here yeah you know, notwithstanding, but, but <laughs> you're not me. Yeah. But actually. <laughs> so what's, what's up here and then the physical part of it. So I, I think that if you are good in one era, you would be good in the other guy. Now I'm not going to yeah. deny that there is more competition and therefore right. more depth, but I yeah. like to think that even with that type of competition, you or I would figure out a way to be successful uh, in whatever era we played. You know, I got to tell you, I was talking to Brian McBride a couple months ago and he was saying something and, and I said, well, you know, they used to tell us don't, don't talk to the press right after a game. And this is when, you know, we'd have 4,000 people in the stands, but he goes, don't talk to the press after the game, take a shower, have a beer. He goes, a beer after a game. I go, yeah. He goes, how old are you? I go, well, what is that supposed to mean? He goes, nobody has beer in the locker room anymore. He goes, they all have like a, a 
restorative drink, you know, that's programmed yep. to their body. Yeah. So I always laugh about Mickey Mantle. They said, why did you drink and party so hard? He said, well, I didn't think I was going to live past 40. So he said, I was just going, <laughs> going for it. Yeah, well, my, my restorative yeah. drink was a Guinness. And as we know, the history nice. of Guinness, it was there for fortification and nutrients. And it worked. And it worked. Yeah, and it worked. Still does. Yeah, so, so, yeah, Alexi, we talk a lot on, on OTB about the physicality of the college game and the and MLS, actually. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. If, if that's just if that's uh, something that's just kind of ingrained in our culture or if that's something that over time will it, it'll evolve more into a little bit more of a finesse game with the influx of some of these uh, yeah, players. Yeah, because it seems it just seems like a lot of I mean overly physical sometimes when I'm watching an MLS game, guys diving in, guys taking people out. I'm just curious as a defender what your point of view is on that. Yeah, I mean, so first off, when and this isn't just specific to American soccer or anything like that. If you are coming at it late uh, and you are developing, one thing that you can rely on, okay, is the physical part of it. It's the mm -hmm. it's the quickest and easiest way to get up to speed. The actual skill and the technique and the tactics, yeah. uh, you know, that takes a little bit longer. And so from an American perspective, it's, it's out of necessity uh, and, and to be expected that that's where we gravitated to. And for a long time, we used that physical presence to make up for whatever deficiencies we had on that, uh, on that other side. The interesting thing about Major League Soccer right now is that while this was, you know, like I said, La Cosa Nostra, our thing, yeah. It has morphed and changed into a very different um, league than I think many of us envisioned in that it is a very international league and it is not necessarily the league that provides the destination for American players. And that's, I, like I said, it's, it's a business, so it's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But in doing mm -hmm. so, I think the way the game has been played and maybe some of that, for lack of a better word, Americanism that we brought to the yeah. game, it isn't as prevalent now for the, for the, you know, for the simple fact that there, there aren't as many American playings and this influx of styles and thought that's made, I think the league better, mm -hmm. but I worry now that this league that we talked about having a, a, a destination, even at, a, at an early age, right. I worry that young players growing up in the United States, if they don't have that touchstone, if they don't see that pathway, and if that's not aspirational to them because they look on the field and they can't relate to any of the players that are playing on it in terms of that pathway, mm -hmm. that could be a problem going forward. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be, yeah. but from a developmental standpoint and the, and the U.S. national team perspective, I'm really interested to see how this happens. We've also seen this happen in England, by the way, and it hasn't necessarily yeah. hurt them. It just makes it that much more competitive. Right. Well, you mentioned the national team, but I want to get to that. But I, I think you have a unique perspective in this because you, you know, were a defender in MLS and you played in Syria. Ah, and uh, you know what we had talked about before we got on air was the Carlos Vela goal. Fantastic, by the way, an amazing yeah. chip. Uh, but those guys went at him hard. And it's a, when I watch Syria, ah, you don't see a defender dive in like that or get that physical. They always seem to have their balance. They always seem to have their angle. You know, um, and it just seemed like you get a player like Vela, you dive in like that, he's, he's going to make magic like that happen. Yeah, I think you know, when, I, when I was growing up, uh, to your point about that American uh, physical part, mm. I relied on that for a long time. And that only gets you so far. And there came yeah, a right. point, luckily, when I, was, when I was younger, but even before the 94 World Cup, where I was made aware and forced to start thinking about the fact that it's not good enough just to clean house and to destroy everything, <laughs> especially as a defender. If, if you can get to the ball and maintain possession of the ball, that makes you that much more valuable. If right. you can, if you're always putting out fires, then sometimes you have to ask yourself, well, why are those fires happening? And am mm -hmm. I causing those fires in the first place? And therefore <laughs> just putting out accidents. It's like Eastern medicine as opposed yeah. to Western medicine. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, having a holistic type of approach, if you will, to what's going on and understanding a lot of those other things, it comes with time uh, and different leagues yeah. do it differently and different leagues are much more physical, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's growth. That's evolution of any player, regardless of nationality. You know, yeah, what I love Lex even talking about, look at Van Dyke. And, and the effect that he's had on the game as a central defender, it's like, you know, yeah, look what you're talking about. He puts out fires, but then, then starts the kindling for another fire on the other end of the field. And you're, never gonna, you're never going to see 
those fires that were put out, you know, it's like it's yeah. it's like security, national security. You know, when it, when it doesn't go right, we all see we it. Hear we don't about see it. the ninety nine point nine percent of the other ones that they they cut off at the pass and they shut down or anything like that. So it's sometimes hard to judge. Although I will say, I think there is a dearth of good quality center backs in the world, and maybe it's yeah. just a a natural type of progression and yeah. or mm-hmm. or a movement to the side where. Possession is so important and attacking and, and how they go on about it. They've kind of forgotten, you know, the art, I guess, if you will, of uh, individual defending. Well, yeah, and the new, new defenders, Alexi, are required to be highly skilled players yep. because they're all, everybody's playing out of the back. You're not thumping the ball up the pitch anymore. You're, you're having to control, pass, knock it around. The keeper's very much a part of it. So it just feels like that whole back five, if you include the keeper, that whole – Game, part of the game has changed immensely in the last 10, 15 years. I love it, actually. Yeah, I, I do, I, too. This is, yeah. this, this is to your to your point, Kevin. This is why I, I would love to play in this day and age because, you know, I know I, I talk about the physical nature and I love the aerial game and I love the good tackle and all that kind of stuff. But I, it used to drive me crazy, the reluctance to keep the ball and the, the right. worry and the risk involved in actually playing. And so now when I see – teams that are playing five yard passes out the old brain of and the old type of thinking is why are they doing that why are they risking that and yet that is the new game and that's the yeah. new beauty of the game and I would have loved to have been involved in that type of game in this era to be given the freedom and the confidence to do those types of things even with that inherent risk look at those outside backs that get sprung from Liverpool it's like fantastic it's like they just shoot up the wings it opens everything up it's just so fun to watch so but you mentioned something about your former playing style and back in 94. And I don't want to sound like an old man, but I'm about to. So you are. I am, and I will <laughs> sound like one when I say this. But I do, Lexi, if we're talking about the U.S. men's national team, when I covered the 94 guys, my God, you guys put in an effort like, like nobody's business. You felt like you had one shot. You were representing your country. It was do or die. Almost every time you guys got out there, uh, it was like the world was against you. And I loved it because we were fighting as underdogs. I do feel now that we have a dearth of players, to use one of your <laughs> words, uh, to use a dearth of players. Uh, we have a, seem to have a lot of players, but the cream is rising a little bit, but uh, it seems like the fight is not there. And I don't know if that's the sedentary nature of being signed early, making money, being you know, part of a system. Uh, and if we've lost that on a national level. What do you think? I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because I, I look at the way the, the sport has evolved and mm-hmm. that traditional path that all of those players that you're talking about back then, including myself, took has kind of gone by the wayside. The, the, the right. collegiate path is, is bypassed. The three-sport path. More you know. The three-sport mm-hmm. path, all, all that kind of stuff. And I think the way that we played, the attitude that we had, it was born of that that unique path that we took. Well, now it's now it's a unique path, but back then it was the normal path that we mm-hmm. took. And in our in our zeal to create better soccer players, um, and with specialization and starting them really young and giving them everything under the moon, I, I just worry that we we lose sight of the fact that we're also and maybe this is just my, this is definitely just my opinion. We are also creating young men and women that are going to lead our country, that, uh, that has maybe even nothing to do with soccer, because we know only a small percentage actually get to the highest level. Parents so, need to remember that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And, and I, I do think it's our responsibility. And a lot of those lessons and a lot of the, the character and the personality that you talk about comes from that old traditional type of path. And yeah. you know, getting your, you know, making mistakes and having added responsibility. And, and the, you know, the collegiate game has plenty of flaws out there, but I do mm-hmm. believe that we concentrate so much on that 90 minutes that we lose track of the fact that that other 22 and a half hours can be crucial to how that 90 minutes go. And if we produce a generation that while they can kick a ball maybe a little better than the previous generation, but they are completely void of any type of social skills or the ability to deal with that other 22 and a half hours, yeah. we've done a disservice, not just to our sport, but to our country. Yeah, you're talking about the, the nature of what sports really was supposed to teach us, leadership, delayed gratification, you know, all that other stuff. I, I always tell the story. I told the guys I was at a college game and uh, with a college coach watching a high school game and the high school player was yelling at his mother because she forgot his roller. And I'm like, wow, 
Wow. <laughs> the guy's like, roller, you forgot. You can't play because you forgot your roller. Grail, you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, Alexi, you bring up a great point because the, the kind of culture of overcoddling and stuff seems to me to, to come out sometimes in the way these kids play because everything is so coached and so programmed and so, you know, just ingrained in them that there's not a lot of just natural play sometimes a lot of guys are a lot of guys or women are suppressed from their natural tendencies because they're afraid to do something wrong or or be or be you know have the coach come at them and i'm just curious if you see that too when i watch the u.s men's national team or women's team for that matter it just seems sometimes like they have all the talent but sometimes they're just not allowed to just let loose do you see any of that well, I think it has to be separated from the national team. The national yeah. team is 23 players, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, not the best players, but the best collection of players. And I do think that for that, you have to have a definitive type of style. This is, this is how we're going to play. Mm-hmm. And look, there are going to be some very good players that just don't fit into that. And that's okay. I know we get, it scares the crap out of us in America when we have unrealized good, good problems. Or, or, yeah, these are, these are good problems to have, but that's how you put together a team. I think for a long time, we've actually tried to fit be everything to everybody and that's mm-hmm. that's not going to work you almost in a certain way and i know this word scares people you have to be exclusive as opposed to in, in, inclusive mm-hmm. you have to have the players that you want so that's from the national team perspective but look we're not just developing soccer players for the national team we're developing right. soccer players that maybe can have wonderful careers and go on and giving them that freedom and giving them most importantly that confidence that you're talking about of expression i think that's 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 crucial and by the way because of the incredible diversity that I think makes our country the greatest country in the world, mm-hmm. you're going to see that mirrored in the way that different players play. And a player growing up in Southern California is going to at times play differently than a player growing up in, in, in the Midwest or, or other East places. Coast, and yeah. it's going to be geographically influenced. It's going to mm-hmm. be culturally influenced, background, history, all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be reflected in how they go about playing. And so I oftentimes say from the United States, it's the most difficult place in the world to find 23 players to function because everybody is coming from such unique and different types of backgrounds. And we don't have any collective understanding and agreement as to how we want to play as because everyone says, well, why if Iceland can do it, then why can't we? Right. Apples and oranges. When you compare it, you get, if I have to, if you have, if you tell me get 10 people to go from this corner to this corner. Okay. It's a hell of a lot easier than getting a hundred people to go from this corner to that corner. So just because you're bigger, doesn't make it, doesn't make it easier. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's uh, shift to us men's national team. I, you you had a great uh, tweet about uh, Claudia Arena's son, your former teammate, Gio, making, uh, making some, some headway there in, in the Bundesliga. It seems like that's a great place for American players to go. But here's your tweet. It says, at its core, playing for the national team isn't about sport or result. It's about the honor and privilege of wearing that shirt, placing your hand over your heart, and singing that anthem. It's uh, about the pride of representing a country that you love. So um, I guess that kind of speaks to what we were talking about a little earlier, about the desire when you're playing for the national team. But I thought Gio said the right thing. He's like, there's no question where I'm playing. I'm playing for the United States. I'm an American. Yeah, Are you happy to was, see that? I was, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm happy for a number of reasons. Number one, because uh, this is a player who obviously wants to play for the U.S. And mm-hmm. as we get you know, more and more uh, players who have the option to play for different teams, you know, I don't care who you play for, but I want you to feel something for the team that you ultimately choose. I want you to feel something that has nothing to do with actually kicking the ball when that, right. when that anthem plays, when you put that shirt on, when you put your hand over your all of that. I want, that's who I want on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so that he came out publicly and said that, that's great. He did have the option. I don't think it was a, even a question, by the way. Right. Secondly, I mean, he's a really good player. And like you yeah. mentioned, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough at Fox to be able to broadcast Bundesliga. And so I watched this league week in and week out. And this is a league that, loves young players, isn't afraid to play young players, and from an American perspective, loves American players because they're, they're affordable and yeah. they know they're getting players, notwithstanding some of the stuff we talked about, that have a good attitude, they're not going to be a problem off the field, and for, for the most part are really, really good technically. They can fit in and adapt very, very quickly to other cultures uh, and other, other teams and other you know, strategies or whatever it ends up being. So Bundesliga right now is a destination for a lot of players, either as yeah. a stepping stone or as a place where they're going to get paid, they're going to have good competition, they're going to be living in a, uh, in a country that, that likes them and that wants them there uh, and provides opportunity for them. 
Right. So talk a little bit about um, the Burhalter experiment here with what's going on. The U.S. men's national team. We're kind of a little confused when we watch the national team. I don't know um, what I'm watching sometimes, but what are your thoughts? I think that, you know, I've always said that I would rather have someone with a, a flawed plan than no plan at all. And I think mm -hmm. for a, a number of years, we've kind of winged it. And that's, that's not good. I don't have to agree with it. And there's times yeah. where I, I, I scratch my head at what Greg is doing. But I will say this. I have a tremendous amount of respect because I think he's trying to do something different, maybe even radical in the way that he's going about it with the way that this team wants to play. He is a true believer. And look, if he doesn't believe in his system, then how the hell am I going to? Uh, right, right. And, I, and, and, and he does believe in it. He is yeah. a absolute true believer. And that's, that's a good thing for the U.S., the question is going to be, and continues to be, does he have the players to actually do what he yes. wants to do? And right. I, I think the jury's out right now. There is a good young generation that's coming up, but maybe that's for 2026. But look, if, if he doesn't qualify for 2022, then that's a big problem. I think it was an anomaly. I think it was an aberration. But I tell you right now, I'm sitting with my arms uh, folded, as are a lot of people, and that is absolutely the right and fair stance to take given the mm -hmm. epic failure of not qualifying for 2018. And so he starts qualifying in, like, I mean, in months, uh, in, the, in the fall of this year. Six of the ten qualifying games for the hexagonal are going to have been played by the time December 31st comes around. So we're going to have a real good idea of what Greg Berhalter is, and more importantly, if he's going to be able to take this team to that next World Cup. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's the thing, Alexi, is it is hard to um, really rate the system because so many of the players have been injured. So, so many of the people that he wants to plug into the system yeah. haven't been part of it. So you're watching guys that are probably not equipped to play within that system out there, which is a fan then leaves you feeling empty because you're like, that's it. And, uh, and I've been kind of critical of that. But uh, again, I, you know, just hopefully we can get these key guys back. Like yeah, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, yeah. you know, all these guys that, that you yeah. want there. And look, if Gio Reyna, I thought Gio Reyna was going to be for 2026, but there's right. a good chance with the trajectory that he's on right now that he gets, you know, he gets called in and he's playing. I will say that the Olympics coming up is crucial because you can yeah. foster a, a, a group of players, especially with the youth that we have right now, uh, that goes through a qualifying process and then goes through a tournament. I mean, if the tournament, if the Olympics even happen, but let's say that they yeah, happen. Yeah, right. uh, yeah. if you can foster that group that I think is going to be really, really important going forward for 2026 uh, and obviously for 2022 qualification. Mm -hmm. Jason Christ, you know, it's interesting. I don't think clubs can do clubs have to release a player for Olympics. No, no, no that's, that's where, that's where Brian McBride, you talk about look, Brian yeah. McBride, he doesn't have to worry about contracts. He doesn't have to worry about trading or a roster restrictions or anything like that. He has to be, you know, I, someone asked me about Darlington Nagy, who I think would be a huge, huge uh, positive yeah. uh, playing in this, in particular in this Perhalter system, but he doesn't want to play for the national team. Well, that's where Brian McBride, has to be on the couch. I mean, like a college coach in there recruiting and selling what they have to offer. And not just him, but other players out there. And whether it's dual nationals, making sure that they fall on the side of the U.S. or anybody else, that's Brian McBride's job. And that's Ernie Stewart's job right now to get in there and get the best possible collection of players for Greg Burkhalter to coach. Yeah, imagine living in a world where, where basically uh, Mexico is raiding American players for their national team. I, we would have never amazing. thought this in 94, Lex. So, it's amazing. Um, all right, man. Yeah, hey, great, I, I, great talking to you. We got to get going. Uh, yeah. But I, I want to ask you one quick question because we're going to talk about this on the uh, tail end of the show. Um, okay. Have you ever gone into the stands after a player, after uh, fans? I have. I have not. And, and you know, being who I am, I, I always thought that if I'm going to do that, I have. And, and because – You went up I there for that, a debate, I bet. You yes, debate that's, that's, that's exactly it. To talk it out. To talk right. it out, you know, and show, show me some wit or something clever in terms of what you're saying. <laughs> what you're saying so i went up there I as a crazy totally irishman get it. i went I totally up to get it you know i'm yeah. not look i'm not go, i'm a lover not a fighter so i'm right. going up there as that as that lover to have a conversation as to why you think uh i am well uh, i'll tell you <laughs> what, what i'm a lover and a fighter and i got hit in the head with a bag of urine and i'm like all right i'm going man we're throwing whoever got that oh geez it's ridiculous i got hit with a head with a battery i went in <laughs> once i got hit with a snow cone once um uh, you know so yeah. I, 
So you went in to talk to them. That's why you're you're a talking head. You're you're an intellect. Your parents are professors. We talk it out. So uh, hey, Lex, uh, so enjoy talking to you. Every time we could we could do five podcasts with you. Yours is State of the Union on Fox, and uh, State we of the Union on Fox. Fox we got MLS. We got Bundesliga, the U.S. national team. Obviously, World Cups coming up here, and uh, fingers crossed, we'll be there in 2022 with the men's team bringing it to you. So. Uh, the work never ends, thankfully. I love what I do, and, uh, and uh, I wish you guys all the best, and uh, thank you for everything that you do for uh, the game. Onward yes. and upward. You're, 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 uh, you're really good at it. I like when people are good at something. So uh, I'm still trying to find out what that is for me. But Lexi <laughs> oh, no, Lawless. You know exactly what you're doing. All right, guys, see you. Good ya. to talk to you, pal. Thanks all the best. Lexi, Lexi Lawless, everybody. All right, we're back on Over the Ball. Uh, great to talk to Lex. I mean, you could fill up, like I said, five podcasts talking to that guy. I love it. Um, you know, Grail, you were, you were going to mention something about him. He's, he's a contrarian, and I think that's yeah. good for broadcasting. I mean, he's, just, he's always got an opinion. I had so many questions could, for him, too. Oh, yeah, so you can agree questions. to disagree, yes. whatever it is, but I love it. You get a good uh, – and I love the fact he said he goes up into the stands – to debate the guy. It's such a more highly, <laughs> it's much more highly involved. And I'd go up there as the Irish madman trying to yeah. throw fish. Alexi's, uh, like, Alexi's like Aristotle going up into the stands. I love that. <laughs> but, you know, like I was in Louisville playing and I got yes. thrown out and I was standing, you know, I took a shower, I my coat and tie, and I'm standing on the sidelines and a snow cone hit me in the head. So it's sort yeah. of like, why wouldn't I go back up in the stands? Like, you know, why do, you, why do fans think they can do that? I, I think we can even yeah. talk about the Bundesliga with the, um, with the, the uh, big banner that they had up there saying something yeah. about the owner. Well, yeah, the, yeah, at the, at the Hoffenheim-Bayern Hoffenheim game. Yeah. yeah, so Bayern were the away supporters because it was a home match for Hoffenheim, and they unfurled this big banner basically calling the owner of Hoffenheim the son of a whore, and in German, obviously. And, uh, and, and, it, and it just uh, obviously uh, it was uh, offensive to everybody other than the people that put the banner up. And the match got stopped twice. And the, the uh, Karl-Heinz Romanegger, who's the CEO of Bayern Munich, went over with the other brass from Bayern to plead with the fans to take the, the banners down. They, they didn't. They did temporarily. Then they unfurled them again. So I thought it was great. So the teams came together and they decided, look, we're going to take this into our own hands for the last 10 minutes of the match. Instead of just abandoning it, we're just going to pass the ball amongst ourselves has been, you know, Bayern yeah, the, the problem was problem was they were up six nil, so there was nothing left to the game. And no, I know, but I thought it was to me. I thought it was a spirit of coming together. The two sides basically mutually agreed that their attitude was going to be that they weren't as as their response to what was going on. They were just going to knock the ball around for ten minutes. And uh, I, th I thought it was I thought it was good. I applauded them for doing that. And again, it just the, the this fan behavior is is problematic. Sam, what are your thoughts? Well, I, a couple of things about this. So this is not the only place there have been protests against this owner. Um, yes. And the reason... And it's because being, of like ownership? Well, it, so in Germany, they have this rule called the 50 plus one ownership, yeah. rule, which means that, uh, you know, the majority of the team has to be owned by paying members of the team. So the clubs are all technically oh. fan owned. Um, a couple of teams do have exemptions that are tied to like, you know, VW and, you know, like corporations from, uh, you know, a while back. But... um. This, this guy, their owner is actually from Hoffenheim and he's invested like a ton of his own money. And, um, you know, he's like maybe going to get an exemption to this rule. And, um, you know, I, I, the main thing I think being protests is like people in Germany don't want to see the game become like it is in other countries with just foreign right. money getting pumped into it. You know, there mm -hmm. were protests against games being played on Monday nights for international TV audiences. And in fact, like the, the Federation, you know, walked back on that. It's not going to happen anymore. Um, so, you know, there's, there's like, a, there's a power, you know, sort of struggle at play here, but, um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't agree with the language and, you know, there was obviously, there was another game where they had a image of him in like a crosshairs, you know, that yeah. was pretty aggressive that, um, you know, no, I don't think anyone wants to see that, but I mean, I, I do think, you know, what they're protesting against, um, you know, does have like some merit. I mean, I'm not, yeah. you know, again, I'm not saying they're going about it the right way. Um, well, yeah, it's but, just kind of the whole anti-monopolistic approach that a lot of social justice movements have. I mean, we have it going on here in, the, in this country, Sam. It's kind of yeah. like corporations and individuals shouldn't have a disproportionate amount of control. 
right? I mean, that's yeah. if you boil it down. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, by the way, I don't disagree with that, but uh, you know, the way they're doing it certainly isn't helping. You know, there there is also no free money. You know, uh, I know the English had complained about teams losing control. Their 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 fans were losing control of the teams. They didn't like Russian oligarchs coming in. They didn't like the Blazer family coming in. The Glazer family coming into. Uh, yeah you know, to, to buy Premier League teams, but it yeah. became an eventuality because there's too much money in the way here. So what I found interesting about the whole controversy was, and I thought this would hit you, Grail, this is how I wanted people to react uh, during racist incidents, not sure. just the moneyed owner. I think yeah. the difference is, because I was trying to break it down a little bit, it's like if I was a player on the pitch and one of my teammates had something racially uh, insensitive thrown at them, uh, I'd, I'd want to stop playing and say that we're not playing under these conditions, not just, you know, and I think one was a banner. So if someone actually built a banner that said yeah. something racist, it would be easier to sort of say, oh, but when someone's yelling something from the sidelines, it's harder to, uh, to, to cover, I guess. Uh, but I think that's what they should do when you hear racial incidents. It's like, no, we're off. We're at both yeah. teams. And, and I think it bubbles up and then it goes away. And, and there's no sustained outrage against racism. That's the problem is there's only outrage in the moment. And, you know, we've all talked about too, is I think managers – people like Klopp and Mourinho and Lampard and stuff need to join forces and basically be very, very clear that you are not a supporter of our club. If you do this end of story, we don't want you. And they're not, I don't think anybody consistently is saying, are saying the right things. Yeah. I wonder, you know, is, you know, I think it leads to a bigger question too, which is why is, you know, it tolerated? Like, why can you say whatever you want when you go to these games? Right. I mean, Not to say like, you know, one thing is, you know, on a level with another, but, you know, why can't there be sort of a broad anti-discrimination, anti-offensive language? I mean, like, you know, we have in this country and I know it's like a different, it's a different setup, but I, yeah. I just think well, maybe this tying it all together might be helpful. We're talking about the Knicks, you know, the Knicks kicked Spike Lee or, you know, they gave him a hard time and they kicked some people out, some fans for chanting, sell the team. Sell yeah. the team, yeah. sell the team. Yeah. So whenever owners are challenged, uh, yeah. it seems like something happens. But when players are challenged, there's not. So uh, you know, yeah, and I, I, think- I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I, I think there's just been this kind of erosion of civil behavior, frankly, in the in the sands. And if you're a paying customer, you feel you have a right. I don't even like people booing, frankly. You know, booing your own team. I'm like, why the hell are you there if you're well, booing look, your own team? I, I, I booing, I feel like I've been booed. It's like, hey, it's part of the, the game. I, but oh, to say to say insensitive things, but like you know, people are like, Well, I bought a ticket. It's like, well, I if I get on a, a train and I bought a ticket, can I just yell at the conductor? I think the food sucks, the service is bad. Yeah. You know, whatever. It's like you don't get that right. And right. you know, we look here in the United States, uh Nelson in, in Chicago was was trying to stop people from yelling puta every time they kick the ball. Uh yeah. they had a hard time doing that. Uh you know, how do you, they throw beers at people when they're taking corner kicks. I mean, that should be immediate. You get the homophobic the chant by the Mexico national yeah, team crowd. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, all of it is just, uh, it, it just doesn't help. And it's, uh, you know, obviously doing all this stuff around kids isn't exactly good well, role model behavior. And here's the big thing. I don't know, Sam, Syria. I've not been to a Syria I game, but I know in England when games used to be midweek and uh, they used to be in the middle of the day, that's when the hooligans problem started because everybody was on un- the people who were unemployed would go to the games and there'd be fights and yelling things. But now with all the money in the game, the television rights and everything, it's kind of a family event. And so to, you know, so I don't want some guy screaming profanities behind me with my daughter there. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, they also cut back on the drinking in the stadiums and they went from standing to all seating and that totally changed the whole dynamic yeah, I yeah. Think, of hooligan behavior. So that, that helped, but, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I, in Italy, I, I don't, at least in my experience, there's not like quite the same hooligan culture. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a family friendly environment. I mean, there's certain parts of the stadium where it might be, you know, a little nicer to sit. But um, I mean, yeah, there's no, yeah, I mean, you're just, insults are being hurled all game and it's just like there's, yeah. there's free reign, basically. Eric Dyer finally went up into the stands this week, which just to protect his brother, I guess, which is sort of, uh, and the fan ran. So <laughs> yeah. these guys are, you know, they, they fawn all over them when they're face-to-face with them. They yell at them when they're playing. They're giving their best effort. Then they, they actually, um, which he was saying such things to, about Eric and his family that Eric saw that his brother was confronting the guy and he went up. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Mourinho gave a full-throated defense of Dyer in that instance, and he was kind of muted when the racism thing happened. Again, uh, you know, you, and you can't condone players going up into the stands, by the way. I mean, obviously, it's a family <laughs> member, and it strikes at him, but you that's also problematic. You cannot have players going up into the stands. Right, right. All right, Sam, what do we have for a question uh, this week? You got anything for us? Yeah, let's do a Soccer America trivia question. Um, okay, so we're at the round of 16 in both the Champions League and the Europa League. Um, in Champions League this year, we have five countries represented of the final 16, being unsurprisingly Spain, Italy, England, Germany, and France. The powers um, that be. How many countries uh, do you guys think are still alive in the Europa League of the 16 teams left? How many, how many in Champions right now? Five, you said? Five countries represented in Champions League. How many countries are represented in? Girl, what do you think? I would say probably more than five, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say eight. Yeah, yeah, that's my number. So I'll go with eight too. Eight different countries, and that's a lot. What's the answer? It's actually eleven. Whoa! Um, Wow. Yeah, we have Spain, Italy, England, uh, Germany, um, not France, actually. Uh, Turkey, Scotland, Denmark, Ukraine, Greece, Switzerland, and Austria. Why do you think that is, boys? I mean, it's more of a it's more of a level playing field, right? I mean, there's yeah, no super secondary. clubs dominating, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's kind of cool. I think it's much more of a pan-European competition, sort of maybe what the Champions League was like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I only get interested in it, Sam, when if uh, you know Chelsea's not in the top four, and you're trying right, you're trying to qualify that way yeah. by winning by winning that trophy, right? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I haven't been following Europa at all, uh, unfortunately. So uh, it's, you know, it's the second cousin to Champions League. And, you know, yes. the Carabao Cup, I don't know, FA Cup. These, it's amazing. And now you're watching what it's doing to Liverpool's legs. So, uh, you know, so many games. Yeah, I mean, Man City, though, won their fifth out of seven Carabao Cups, which is pretty impressive. If, if you're collecting hardware, that's a nice chunk of hardware to be putting in the trophy case. Don't you think though most people count? They count their league play and then they count the Champions League, or really the two big. I, I think league and champions have almost become equal in 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 England at this point, and then you know, and then FA Cup, and then Carabao Cup. What would you do if you were Liverpool right now and Jurgen Klopp? Would you sit players for a while and just play them Champions League, or I'd try to give get guys them. a. They've got a deep bench. Yeah, yeah, but if they've lost three out of four matches, something's not working. So I would try to play my best players and try to get it back to where he it did was. that. Though he's been doing yeah. that. They no, just seem lifeless. Been, yeah, he's been bringing some different guys in. You know, Lovren came in, and that didn't yeah, he, work he stunk well. up the joint. I thought Lovren. Yeah. He just. Uh, I don't know. So they're going to be fine. Right. Well, they're they're going to win the league. We know that. That's an automatic, and that's a ma- matter of whether or not they're going to beat uh, Atletico in the uh, return leg ne- uh, next week. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what are the games we're watching this weekend? We have El Clasico. No, that what was other last games? weekend. That was last weekend. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I've got a DVR. No, I but it was know. a good. It, but it was a good one. Why, I haven't watched it yet. Well, don't tell them yeah. the score. Yeah. yeah we, now we, we can. Now yeah, we can't exactly. talk about it. Exactly. Well, I know it's Messi got been, a yellow card, right? It's only been a week. Uh, Man United, Man City. Oh, that's the game. Yeah, I oh, watch yeah. That one. Man United. I watched play this weekend. Uh, last weekend, they uh, they looked pretty good. Uh, that new signing, what's his name? Um, the Portuguese player, Fernandes. Fernandes, uh, really good. is dangerous. Good he play. adds a great element that I think Manchester United was lacking. So they're yeah. they're getting more and more solid. I think they're you know. And remember, uh, they're not playing with Rashford, who's clearly their best striker. So that definitely affects them. Yeah. I'm not going to throw. Gonna I'm not going to throw out a game this week because it's there's still too much uncertainty in Italy uh, right now. I think <laughs> the games are going to go ahead, but with no fans, and that you know could last until um, the end of the month. So oh, the coronavirus. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I I'm not sure exactly how things are going to play out, but I mean it'll be. This is interesting what we're talking about. You know, fan issues and stuff. But to watch yeah. a game with an empty stadium is a Kind of a surreal experience. Oh, definitely. On the same. Uh, all right. So they can you can ban fans for um, the the coronavirus, but you can't for racist behavior. See, this is what they should do for racist behavior. It's like just uh, I call racism a virus. Yeah, it is. That's very good. Nice, yes. uh, nicely played, Grail. So all right. Yes. So uh, Sam, I think you're going to have to sit down and watch some Premier League this weekend. You're going to have to. <laughs> little, but I think we're going to have to tie him down. Let's hear your predictions on Manchester United, Man City, because I think that's going to be a good game. Me? You want my prediction on this? I mean, this will be my first Premier League game of the year. Um, oh, my God. No I'll, MLS. 
Yeah. All right, so you can't you can't I'll do take it. Man can't. United in a, a stunning I'm, upset. I'm going Man City three one Flinny with De Bruyne once again taking charge and having a oh, goal with two assists. That dude is magic. I'm going the best. two one. I'm going two one. Manchester United. Whoa! Look at that. Yeah. All right. So because uh, I, I I like the way they played and I think they're uh, they're finding their feet a little yep. bit there. So. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap it up there. We could talk all day about uh, what's going on in the world of soccer, as always. That's why we have a podcast, to get the information out there. All right, everybody, that's all for now on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guests. Well, just one guest that would be without an S, Alexi Lalas. He's always great for an opinion, uh, a contrarian, as we call him. Uh, he's really great for the game here in the United States. You can get, catch him on the State of the Union podcast on Fox and then his coverage on Fox each week. Uh, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTP.